Chapter Twenty Six of Aunt Hannah and Martha and John by Pansy and Mrs. C. M. Livingston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter Twenty Six. Three of Us. Despite all she had been through and the trouble she must yet face, the sorrow which fell with crushing force upon Elsie as she sat alone in her room that night was connected with her father. To be so misunderstood. To be so shut out from him by a wall of coldness that it was impossible to make explanations was terrible. Her tender spirit quivered under the memory of his sharp words, as her flesh might have done under the cruel cut of a lash. There are not many bitterer pangs than the same experience. Why do earthly fathers, who are meant to typify the heavenly, continually misrepresent the divine love in its infinite tenderness? Her sense of desolation would have been intolerable. If she had not thus early learned the blessed secret, which usually takes a lifetime, that we may have Jesus Christ as our confidential friend, to whom we may whisper thoughts that the dearest earthly friend may not know, it was even a closer relation in this young disciple's case. Prayer with her when she was in trouble was a real casting herself into the arms of divine love, and with tears and broken fragments of sentences, complaining and beseeching like a little child in the arms of its mother. So she pleaded now for her father, that his heart might be softened toward her, and that he might see every question in the light of eternity, and give up all wrong at whatever sacrifice. It was strange, too, to be asking that. She, who had through all these years believed her father to be everything that was true and noble. And now, grown somewhat calmer, she attempted to look in the face of this other problem over which she had been puzzling when called away and from which the afternoon's experience had diverted her for a time. Feeling that the bond between her and Alec Palmer had been forever broken, not only by his words, but by her own conviction that it was right and best that it should be so, she had been earnestly striving to school her heart into submission to the altered state of affairs. It was not an easy thing to do, even after she began to suspect that the virtues with which she had vested him existed in her imagination only, and that his wealth and social position had cast a sort of glamour upon her. There was bitterness in the thought that she had possessed something bright and beautiful which was gone, and there was a dull pain and a dreary sense of loss. It could not be otherwise. Her sensitive nature shrank, too, you will remember, from the ordeal which must follow as soon as it was known that the engagement was broken. The anger of her father and mother, the criticism or pity of her friends, how could she face it all? Now this letter of Alex gave her an opportunity to escape these mortifying experiences and put the joy back into her life. He had said that they would drop all inharmonious subjects. Did that mean that she should be free to obey her conscience? Perhaps so. Was there so pleasant and easy a way out of her troubles? But then came the recollection of her decision made a short time ago when she had promised before God to be true to her convictions of right. What was right? There were solemn promises between herself and Alec, and now that he acknowledged that he had spoken in anger the words which released her, and seemed to claim her as his own still, was she justified in breaking her pledge to him? But a new complication arose. This time it was in her own heart. The revelation confronted her that the possibility of being able to put things back on the same footing as they were gave her no throb of joy. That delicate something which cannot be compelled or analyzed, and which put him in her thought above all others, had fled. 
Like a flower chilled by the frost, the beauty had gone out of it. She was surprised and shocked. Was she of a cold, fickle temperament, she asked herself, that she could so soon harden her heart against one who had been dear? She could not understand herself. If she had been wiser, she would have known that a fine nature like hers, renewed and illumined by the Spirit of God, would find it difficult to continue to have a high regard for one whose moral perceptions were dull, and who was so conceited, blind, and perverse that there was little hope for him. While she searched her heart, blaming herself that the thought of giving up Alec Palmer did not fairly take her life away, she reflected that this change of feeling was not of her own bringing about. She had been passive in the apathy of sorrow, and had not tried to steel herself against him, even though at times some manifestation on his part of a domineering spirit, or of selfishness and jealousy, had awakened within her a feeling very like contempt, although she did not recognize it as such. Yet she had left it all with God, had even prayed that he would take the obstacles out of the way of her becoming the wife of Alec Palmer, or that he would give her grace to bear the separation. Was this his answer? For she was startled at the discovery that even though the effort should be made, she could not put this man back into the place he had once filled. And then again there swept over her that feeling of pity for him to whom she had for months been in dear relations. There came, too, a suggestion that perhaps it was her duty to do as he wished, drop all discussion of clashing views for the present, and try once more to persuade and allure him into the right path. In other words, try to shape into a different mold the character which seemed so warped and dwarfed. But would it be possible for her to marry him? It was against nature and against scripture not to reverence the one who was to bear the sacred name of husband. If this reverence were lacking, could there be true affection? Without it, would not marriage be a profanation? If Alec should change, perhaps her love for him would come back. Oh, to know which way to turn! There was the letter her father had told her to write. He little knew the difficult task he had imposed. She could not write it. Not yet. She must seem even to be disobedient. Oh, the perplexity and the tumult! Would she ever be at peace again? There flashed into her recollection just then the promise Mr. Mason had quoted and explained to her. He shall deliver thee in six troubles. Yea, in seven there shall no evil touch thee, and that meant complete deliverance. She would ask once more to be led. She would trust and not be afraid. So she laid herself down, although a clock on the near steeple chimed one in the morning hours before she closed her eyes in sleep. Meanwhile there had come into the midst of the storm, which had burst over the head of John Remington, a brightness, for in the dawn of one gray morning there appeared in his home a small stranger. It was the old mystery of life once more repeated, a taper lighted never more to go out, a new soul to begin an earthly pilgrimage. Today it is here, a little time ago it was, where? How beautifully the God of love has arranged it all, that these strange souls find loving welcome and everything in readiness, the cradle bed, soft and white, the drawers filled with dainty fashioned garments of creamy tint and finest texture, downy flannels, fleecy sacks, and wee warm socks, all besprinkled with ribbons, blue and pink and white. Aunt Hannah opened such a drawer on this eventful morning, which, by the way, was a cold one, and searched for a good, sensible blanket, with which to cover the baby, who was sweetly sleeping in his crib. She found one, and tucked it around the precious little bundle, 
then sat down in the rocking chair by its side and drew a long, grateful, satisfied breath. John's baby. Having attended to all the physical needs of the atom of humanity, sitting there in the quiet room, watching, listening to the delicate breathing of the new treasure, she began a work for him which would end only when one of them should leave this world. It was as natural for Aunt Hannah to pray as to breathe. At first her heart went out only in thanksgivings. Then the petitions encircled the little one and laid him by faith in the arms of infinite love. Happy child! To have the fragrance of prayer breathed around his cradle in those first hours. Will not the life voyage be safer and pleasanter because the little bark set sail amid such favoring gales? For Aunt Hannah was not the only one who prayed. The young father's glad heart went out, too, at the dawn of day alone in his study, in thanksgivings, in fervent faith, laying all his treasures at the feet of his Lord. For the time he dropped his burdens, rising above the sense of defeat and humiliation which had almost overpowered him during the last weeks, and rejoiced in this new dignity and honor which had been placed upon him. It is strange, though, how very soon people can become accustomed even to the presence in the house of a new little being. Before three weeks had passed, this family had quite adjusted itself to the order of things. The baby proved to be the usual tyrant, but they cheerfully submitted. John and Aunt Hannah arose early or stayed up late, just as His Highness ordered, and Aunt Hannah said to John, "'Hush, you will wake the baby,' quite as if he were an old institution. Aunt Hannah looked so natural with baby's head over her shoulder, patting his back while he lay face down across her lap, that one wondered what she could have been about before he came, while John and Mattie seemed to have lost all identity except as babies, father and mother. "'What are you thinking about, child?' Aunt Hannah asked of Mattie one afternoon as she sat by the crib looking long into baby's face. She had not spoken for some time, and Aunt Hannah fancied she saw a shadow on her face. Why, just at that moment I was really thinking of the idea for the first time that now there are three of us, Aunt Hannah. We are a family. Then the loving old aunt saw a new look on the face of John's wife, even the joy and sweet content of mother love. I was thinking, too, what a very good woman I must be now. Little children should make people better. My baby must never see me out of temper. I thought John never should, but he has. Here comes a must, though, a little copyist who will imitate us, for the first years at least, and he must have good copies. The afterlife will probably hinge on the first years. I wonder that parents do not fairly stand in awe of innocent eyes looking up into theirs, wondering and judging. There is one thing, at least, that I am sure I shall never do to this precious baby— and that is punish him in anger. That is perfectly fiendish. I suppose he will need punishing, drawing a long sigh as she spoke, then catching a glimpse of the wise old face, she said, Aunt Hannah, there is a pucker in each corner of your mouth as if you wanted to laugh at me. You may. I know I ought not to be lecturing on the best methods of training children when I know almost nothing about it. You have got a long step on the right road if you don't, Aunt Hannah said, looking up from her knitting to cast a tender glance on the young mother, so fair and so wise. How blessed John was in such a wife. If the world should be searched, her equal could not be found, Aunt Hannah firmly believed. I wasn't laughing at you exactly, child. But I was thinking in how many ways this little one will try you, for he has an uncommon will, even now. 
If he decides that he would rather not be dressed just then, it's as much as your life is worth to get through the performance. You thought he had a pain this morning. It was nothing under the sun but temper. He wanted to be cuddled some more instead of being dressed. Aunt Hannah, and he isn't a month old yet. Fact. The first thing to wake up and go at it is that old will, and it is the last to leave. So I say, when the day comes that he puts his will straight across yours, it will be a big trial. If you succeed in keeping calm and sweet through it all, you will have attained to saintship. Mind, I don't say it can't be done, but most fathers and mothers are like Peter. They say, I never will, and then, sometime, when they have been in a rage with their own children, they have to go and weep bitterly when the Lord casts a look at them to bring to mind their promises. I think the resolves are right, and I like to hear you make them. May the Lord give one woman grace to keep them, and I believe he will. Someone said, I don't know, but it was Henry Ward Beecher, that every child was intended to see a type of God in its father and mother. Some poor children won't stand much chance, if that is so. I shall have to have ever so many talks with you about it if I do succeed, Mattie said. But just now I want to ask you concerning something else. I did not tell you all I was thinking. Do you know of any trouble in the church? This was a sudden question for which Aunt Hannah was unprepared. She and John had agreed to keep his dismissal a secret until his wife should have recovered entire strength. Why, what made you ask that? said she, while she gave unnecessary attention to her knitting. I can scarcely tell why, but I fancy there is an atmosphere of constraint about the few who have come in to see me. Even Elsie Chilton does not act naturally. I miss little kindnesses from certain ones, and John's eyes look as if they were guarding a secret. Aunt Hannah, what is it? I believe there is something, and that you know it. Tell me, please do. There was silence for a minute while Aunt Hannah took counsel of herself. It is certainly time the child knew. If I tell her, John will be spared so much. There isn't much use in trying to keep anything from such a sharp-eyed body as you are, that's sure, she said at last. What should you say if John were not to stay in this church much longer? Has John resigned, Aunt Hannah? There was no help for it then but to begin and tell the whole story, while the color came and went in the sensitive face of the young wife, and her eyes were by turns wistful, indignant, and astonished. If only they had not asked him to resign, she said, after a little. If he had but done it of his own accord. Dear child, search down in your heart and see why you wish that, said Aunt Hannah. I know. I need not wait to search. It is pride at work, but I suppose it is good for us. Oh, it is hard for John to bear. He has worked so faithfully, and he hoped so much that the truth was taking effect. And she wiped away some tears. Truth hits people differently, my dear. Some folks repent and believe, and some fly up and turn away the minister when their consciences are pricked. You know, of course, that this is not the work of the whole church. Some of the best ones are on John's side, and they insisted on his staying. What reason do they give for wishing a change, Aunt Hannah? Why, they say they have decided that the needs of the church demand a man of more age and experience. That means they want someone who is experienced enough to know that he can't stay in this church long unless he minds his P's and Q's. He must not preach total abstinence because some of the members have money in a distillery. 
He must be dumb about the snares and temptations of the world, because half of them dance, and play cards, and go to the theater. He must not speak of everlasting punishment, because Satan has persuaded some of the members that such language is all figurative. They don't want to hear about sin, either, or any unpleasantness. The shepherd of this flock may have a good time if he will preach about evolution, and poetry, and philosophy, and turn his head the other way when he sees some silly sheep breaking through the fence, dancing and capering off into forbidden paths, and go to sleep when others are stumbling and tumbling into pits. If I were a minister, I would sooner preach to wild hottentots than to such a church. But there, I am getting stirred up myself. The Lord has a people among them. It's a thousand pities, though, that the other sort ever got inside the fold. If they were counted as enemies of Christ, there might be some chance of reaching them. But we must not be worrying about John, Martha. He has got to go through these things. The servant is not greater than his Lord. Let us rather be glad that he has been used to strike some blows against sin in this place. Good will come of it, you may depend. I think it would be refreshing, the young wife said, trying to smile amid her tears, to work among the Hottentots for a time. Some of these people are actually hardened by preaching. Baby started just then, and his mother knelt beside him, laying her cheek on the tiny soft one. Nobody could be thoroughly miserable with a new little heart fluttering in her ear, and a soft, sweet breath, sweeter than roses or hyacinths or new-mown hay, coming and going in her face. Precious comforters are the babies. End of chapter 26